we turn back in our Bibles to that passage, Philippians chapter 4, and we want to look especially at the words in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Traditionally, this is a time when we give thanks for a harvest, that seed has been sown, cultivated, brought to fruition, gathered in so that we have food for the coming year. It's harder for us to do that, maybe, many of us at least, because we are so distanced from the food production business. Maybe when we were a more agricultural area, more people were aware of the challenges of farming and raising animals and crops, and therefore this day was easier to be thankful in. But we still have much to be thankful for. Every meal we eat, every time we're able to buy food, every time we see stock shelves, we should be thankful. Every time we pass fields and orchards with the fruit of the ground, every time we pass animals grazing, again, great reason to thank God. But today, we'd like to do some sowing and harvesting of a spiritual nature. This is something we can all engage in easily, directly. And we want to ask this question, how do we harvest contentment? How do we harvest contentment? This is one of the hardest harvests to bring in. And we want to look at some of these difficulties, but maybe some of you think, well, why? Why should we harvest contentment? Why should that be a focus? Well, partly because contentment stops a lot of evil in our lives. Without contentment, we produce bitter fruits of discontent, jealousy, envy, ingratitude, all of which distance us from people, but especially from God. Discontent is one of the greatest barriers that can be built up between us and God. But it's not that discontent is so dangerous, it's that contentment is so beautiful and so safe and so fruitful in our lives. When we have contentment, we have peace, we have joy, we can rejoice, not just in good things in our own lives, but we can rejoice when God does good things in others' lives. We don't bear malice. We don't have that ill will anymore. And of course, contentment breeds gratitude. One, all of these graces bring us closer to God. They, they take away the barriers. Contentment is one of the greatest powers to draw God close to us and us close to God. So, we want to ask, how? That's the why. Why try to harvest contentment? How? How do we go about this? Paul tells us here, first of all, contentment does not grow 
from success. That's what we often think, isn't it? If only I could be more successful, have more success, then I would have that sense of contentment, that sense of satisfaction. And when we listen to the world's definitions of contentment, that's what we detect in them. For example, here's a definition from the Cambridge Dictionary. Contentment is happiness and satisfaction because you have everything you need. Now, there's some merit in that, in that it doesn't say in that you have everything you want. It's, it's a bit lower than that. It's everything you need. But what if you don't have everything you need? Does that mean we can't have happiness and contentment? A quote from another man, Oscar Wilde, who was quite an ungodly man, but had some real wisdom when it came to contentment. He said, true contentment is not having everything, but in being satisfied with everything you have. Again, there's some merit in that, but there's still something missing, isn't there? Because well, what if you don't have anything? What if you've been stripped in one way or another of your health, of your friends, of loved ones, of finances? Does that mean contentment is no longer possible? One bit more modern, ChatGBT. Contentment is a state of satisfaction and fulfillment with one's current circumstances and possessions. It is a valuable mindset that can lead to greater happiness and a more fulfilling life. Now, again, credit to this artificial intelligence. It does see the value of contentment, doesn't it? It leads to greater happiness and a more fulfilling life. It gets that right, but it gets this wrong because it focuses contentment on one's current circumstances and possessions. So, you can see a pattern here, can't you, that in the world, the, the great focus is really on what we have, who we are, what we've achieved. In other words, our circumstances. This seems to be where people mainly look for satisfaction, for contentment. So, they, they try and sow contentment with stuff, with cars and boats and houses and jobs and money and so on, or maybe with experiences, they travel, maybe with friends, maybe with a great marriage, or maybe with a great position at work. But these seeds are bad seeds. Even if you have lots of these seeds, and you can fill your fields and furrows with them, they will not produce a harvest of contentment. These things, these circumstances don't have contentment contained within them. And you can sow as much stuff, as many experiences, as many people as you like, and your fields will be either barren 
or produce just weeds. And what if you just don't have any of that seed? You don't have much stuff. You don't have anything really valuable and worthwhile left in your life. Well, you're empty-handed then, aren't you? And so, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, contentment is really hard. In fact, it's impossible if we're trying to grow it from our circumstances, our situations, our stuff. Somebody once said, there are few people who are poor and content, and there are even fewer who are rich and content. So, what are we left with? Well, Paul here turns us away from our circumstances, and he tells us very clearly, contentment is not found in our circumstances. Look back at that passage. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So, he's saying, this contentment is independent of my situation, of my circumstances. It doesn't matter what my situation is. And he goes on to explain that I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Again, he's saying, it's not my situation. It's not my circumstances. He had learned to be content regardless of situation or circumstances. Now, he does use the word learned. So that, in other words, it's not easy even for the Apostle Paul. It was his, as it is our natural default, to look to things to be our source of satisfaction and contentment. So, he had to learn this. He had to study this. He had to think about it, maybe write about it, maybe talk to experts about it. He had to store things in his memory. And there were times when this education, this learning was tested. He went through examinations. As he says, I've been in states of poverty and I've been in states of great wealth. And both were testing in terms of contentment. He, at the moment, is writing this letter from prison. That was a tough place to learn contentment. This was a very hard, painful examination for the Apostle Paul, and yet he passed it. He says, I've learned. I passed this exam. So, as we turn away from our circumstances, let's see the danger of trying to find satisfaction in our circumstances, and let's see the impossibility of trying to find satisfaction in our circumstances. Fill in the gap. We've seen what the world says. We've seen what Paul says it's not about. What about you? I will be content when I get, I have, 
I am. We've all got something there in that sentence, haven't we? Something financial, something physical, something relational, something to do with status. Then, so it's always focused on more, isn't it? And yet, the Apostle Paul tells us, more is not the answer. In fact, he's saying basically, if you sow success, your harvest will fail. You're trying to find a harvest of contentment based upon success or more. Your harvest will fail. Your fields will be barren. Your barns will be empty. You will be hungry. But the Apostle Paul does go on to speak very positively, spoken negatively, what it's not. But then he tells us what it is positively. And he tells us this. He says, contentment grows from Christ. Contentment grows from Christ. Not our circumstances, but from Jesus. Where do we see that in this passage? Well, it's in verse 13. Now, this is a verse that's probably one of the most misquoted verses in the world, because most often it's quoted after someone's had a great success, a Christian. You often see it, don't you, in athletics, in sport, somebody triumphs, and they'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's, it's wonderful that they give that acknowledgement, isn't it, that they point away from themselves to the Lord. That's a good thing. But this verse does not come out of the circumstances of success. It's also speaking of when we are very poor, when we are lacking, when we have lost, when there's nothing in our situation or circumstances to naturally give us satisfaction. So, Paul's saying, I've learned to be content, and here's how. I can do all things. In other words, have that contentment, do that contentment in all circumstances and in all situations, whether it's poor or rich or any state in between. And it's only through the strength coming into me of Jesus. He is the one who enables me to exercise this contentment muscle regardless of my circumstances. What's Paul telling us here? Well, he's telling us he's been in the school of contentment. And in that school, Christ is his favorite teacher. He loves to learn from Jesus, from His Word and example. Jesus was the most contented man that ever lived. You read the Gospels. He was tested. He was examined. He was pushed to limits that none of us have been. And yet, in His perfection, He had this full and satisfying contentment. Jesus was Paul's favorite teacher because he not only taught in word, but by his example. Jesus was his favorite subject. He knew that when he was t- 
tested when he was rich or poor that if he focused his mind on Jesus, his person, his work, his words, his deeds, his salvation, his grace, his cross, his empty tomb, his resurrection, and his raised position in glory, when that was his subject, when he focused on Christ in the Old Testament and Christ in the New Testament, when he sang songs about Christ and read poems about Christ and read books about Christ, and when he was in fellowship with people who shared their experience of Christ, that's when he felt most content. As Christ taught him about himself, Paul grew in contentment. Christ was his greatest possession, his prized possession. He, he, he counted Christ, as he says in another place in Philippians, more than anything else, more valuable than anything else. And in fact, everything else compared to Christ was manure, was dung. That's how, how much Paul pushed circumstances and stuff out of the picture. Christ was his identity. It wasn't things, it wasn't achievements, it wasn't relationships. He, he found a very satisfying identity in being a believer in Jesus, being a son of God, being forgiven, being adopted, being sanctified by Jesus, having Jesus walk with him. He defined himself as in Christ and for Christ and with Christ. Christ was his identity. This is what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When he felt his contentment growing weak, whether it was in a time of abundance, when he was tempted to find contentment in stuff, or a time of poverty, when he was tempted to say, well, there's no way I can be content in this situation, went into the school of contentment. There he found Christ teaching, Christ the subject, Christ the possession, and Christ his identity. So, we looked at some worldly definitions of contentment, didn't we? Let, let's, on the basis of this, let's try and define contentment from a biblical way. As we learn in the school of contentment, here is what contentment is. It's an active and fruitful satisfaction in Jesus, independent of our circumstances. Notice there that word active. Sometimes we think of contentment as a, as, as a very passive grace. Well, I'm not discontent. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm I've got enough. And it's just like the absence of ingratitude or the absence of discontent. It's not that. It's, it's not just a neutral. It's not just a, a nothing. It's not just a passivity. It's an active experience. It, it's something we pursue. It's something we engage in. It's something we interact with. It's an active and fruitful satisfaction. In other words, from this grows beautiful fruits. 
You, you, you know content people, don't you? You, you know them. You, you, you can even see it in their face. Um, thinking of a, of a young mother with many kids, five, six kids, I think, um, not in a great marriage. Um, the, the father, the husband, he, he doesn't bring in enough income for the, even the most basic necessities. And this has gone on for many, many years. It's not just a dip, it's a pattern of life. You get nothing. The home is, is just bare. Children really rely on clothes from others. And this young mother is unbelievably content. It's, it's staggering. It's something that, that Shona and I talk about every time we've met her. It wasn't always like that. It was actually quite a tetchy, kind of touchy, even aggressive person many years ago. But God has beautifully matured her. And from this inner contentment has just grown a, a spiritual beauty that you can't but want. When you see her, you, you don't think, I wish I'd a better car. You see her and you think, I wish I could have that. Another story I came across recently is the story of John James, the um, politician who ran for Senate, I think once, governor once. He's now in Congress. But when he failed again and again, he said this, God's grace is sufficient. I will continue to praise Him, not based upon how good I feel, but because of how great He is. He is worthy to be praised, and I will never give up on Michigan because Jesus never gave up on me. As someone who has learned how to be content when he's lost his dream. So, circumstances are not the key. Christ is. Our contentment does, should not rise or fall based upon our circumstances, but it rises and falls based upon our spiritual condition and especially our connection to Jesus. So, how can we change? How can we make this Thanksgiving day a day when we sow Christ and reap contentment? Wouldn't it be great if a year from now we come and we all have a harvest of contentment? Our fields are just full of the fattest, richest, juiciest fruit and vegetables called contentment. How do we do that? Well, Start at the top of this wheel. It's about adding Christ. 12 o'clock position. Adding Christ. That, that's where we begin. More of Christ will lead to more contentment. That's the more we need to focus on. The more of Him we have in our life, the more we will enjoy the satisfaction. Secondly, trust Contentment grows from faith as well, from trusting God, because sometimes we look at our circumstances and we think, God can't be in control. 
God can't be wise and God can't be good. So, if we can instead begin to trust instead of doubt, trust God's sovereignty, trust God's wisdom, trust God's goodness, that will also fertilize contentment. Then, reframe. So, you look perhaps at your losses, and, and you put the frame around it of um, discontent. But instead, reframe it with content. You're looking at the same thing, but you're thinking about it differently. Here's how somebody put it. It isn't what you have or who you are or where you are or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It is what you think about it. It's what you think about it. So, reframe losses. Reframe discontent. Sometimes we're just happy with our unhappiness. We're content with our discontentedness. We just think, well, that's life. You know, I'm discontent. Well, reframe it and put another word underneath it and that's called sin. It's a sin. It's something to be turned away from, to be repented of. And then there's… Sorry. They subtract. Somebody said this, seeking to add a thing will not bring contentment. Instead, subtracting from your desires until you are satisfied only with Christ brings contentment. So, subtracting our desires for more. We've all got a thing, don't we, in our minds that we think, oh, that would be great to have that. Why don't we really practice, put this lesson into practice by saying, okay, there's nothing wrong with that thing, that possession, nothing wrong with it at all, but if I'm ever going to learn contentment, I've got to begin to subtract such desires from my life. Just one thing, whatever it is. I know what mine is, I'm not telling you, but I know what it is. And say, okay, I can live without that. And I'm going to, because subtracting a desire will grow contentment. Then, give. This is strange, isn't it? We think of contentment associated with getting, and yet giving more will give even greater contentment. Then, there's revalue. Contentment, maybe you've not put much value on. You may thought, well, that'd be nice, but it's not, you know, it's not the greatest thing. Well, the Apostle Paul said in another letter, godliness with contentment is great gain. So, frame around contentment, great wealth. You can have great wealth when you've got nothing, in other words, because you've got contentment. So, revalue contentment. See it as a prize to be pursued. And that really brings us to the last action, which is chasing it. Remember, we talked about being an active grace. It doesn't, just doesn't drop out the sky. It doesn't come when we're just sitting passively. This involves exercise. It involves the exercise of faith and trust 
involves us doing these things, adding, trusting, reframing, subtracting, giving, revaluing, chasing, not the world, but chasing contentment, pursuing it as something that we must have. How do we harvest contentment? We saw it doesn't grow from success, but it grows from Christ. And therefore, sow more Jesus for a bountiful harvest of contentment. You can start doing that right now. In your heart, more Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus. And you, you'll see that that contentment you thought was impossible, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us that precious seed of Yourself. Sow it, water it, cultivate it, grow it, so that we have, even today, a greater harvest of contentment in our lives. We pray for help to learn in this difficult school, and yet one which we can graduate from with the greatest degree of contentment possible. In your name we pray, amen.